I was asked a question sometime in the last six months. You guys know my memory. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was following one of the services here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. I was asked by a very sincere member of our church a question regarding the elements that are used in the Lord's Supper. And, uh, you know, his question uh, was sincere, and uh, I want to try and answer that question tonight, not just for him, but for all of us. Um, You see, sometimes when things that we think maybe aren't so, sometimes, especially when we have grown up or been brought up in a religion that has a form of godliness that is based on ritual, sometimes it's hard to let go of the ritual because the ritual is how we feel spiritual. And so there's an attachment to the ritual. There's an attachment to some of the things. And you all know, and anybody knows, that it's very hard to unlearn some things. It's very hard sometimes to let go of the things that we have always thought to be so. That's why we continually need to check the Scriptures. We need to continually confirm and make sure that our our, uh, beliefs line up with the Word of God and our practice lines up with the will of God. As we have seen in the study of Galatians, and we will continue to see, that there are many who were freed from the law, yet they had a hard time letting go of that ritual. They wanted to go back to the law. And that that is where they felt spiritual. That is where they they held on to those rituals, uh, beliefs of the law. And and, and the thing is, is for for by grace are you saved through faith. And they had been saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ, but they, they wanted to go back to what they knew before. He, this individual, had been led to believe that the elements of communion actually become the body and the blood of Christ. This, of course, is a very well-known and established Catholic doctrine. It's called transubstantiation. They teach, the Catholic Church teaches that these elements that we are using this evening to observe the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, communion, actually become the body and the blood, the actual blood, the actual body of Jesus Christ when the priest says a prayer or a statement, I don't know exactly what he says over it, but at that moment it becomes the body and blood of Christ. And I take this individual's uh, question seriously and want to answer it from the Word of God as best as I can, hopefully help us all understand what these elements mean and what God has given us in this practice of observing the Lord's Supper. I've titled this The Communion Elements this evening as we look at this. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 7, I would like you to see that our Savior practiced or observed the Passover. 
He says in verse number 7, reading down through verse number 13, he says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you enter into the city, there shall a man meet you, bringing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. I just want you to know that uh, as a Jew, as a sinless the sinless son of God, he was born under the law. And he would have continued to observe the law through his life. Jesus lived and practiced and observed the law. He would have uh, obeyed and kept the Passover as a practicing Jew. You see, the new covenant of grace would not be fulfilled until the lamb, his blood was shed for all mankind. That's when the New Testament, uh, the New Covenant of Grace was instituted and His blood had yet to be shed. So Jesus grew up under the, under the law and observed and kept the law through His teen and youth years and coming into the point where ultimately the time came when He was to be offered the Lamb once and for all. So He would have observed the Passover as we see here Him telling His disciples, hey, go make ready, the time is at hand for us to observe the Passover, until he became that Passover lamb. Jesus observed communion. Follow down along with me now in verse 14 through 22. He is here establishing for us the practice of communion, which we observe as a church. He's teaching the disciples about this. He says now, and when the hour was come, verse number 14, and when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he brake it, and he gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Some simple observations that I would like to give you with regards to the teaching of transubstantiation with regards to the uh, principle that is said that these elements become, actually become the literal body and blood of Christ. First of all, if you have in your Bible uh, a red letter edition, could I ask of you who is speaking in these verses we just read? Jesus is speaking. Okay, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. 
Beloved, this could not be his literal body because he said it. He was standing there in front of them. He was the one teaching about the memorial service that was going to come. He was saying, this is my body. He wasn't saying this is, you know, he did not uh, take a part of him off and give it to them. He, he said, this is my body, showing, teaching them that it was a symbol, that it was a, uh, a type, a picture of his body that was given for them. He said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Yet his blood had yet to be shed. You see, beloved, he was teaching prophetically. He was talking about the time when his blood would be shed and saying, this you want to do in remembrance of me. Once my blood's been shed, once my body has been given, then you would observe this in remembrance of what happened. So very clearly giving to us the fact that it is a symbol, a type for memorial and for, for memory of the new covenant that was going to be established, which was prophesied of in Jeremiah 31. He says in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This new covenant is going to come. That was when Jesus' blood was shed. But it had yet to be shed. So very simple observation here. It could not be his literal blood and body because he was the one talking. Further, there had been instruction given to the children of Israel not to eat the blood. In Genesis 9 and verse number 4, he says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So they had been instructed not to eat the blood. And then in Leviticus 17, 14, which we talked about this morning uh, in regards to something, uh, but I know we mentioned it, uh, but he says, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it. Oh, it was in Sunday school with regards to uh, science that had been proven over and over again to be correct. I'm, I'm just trying to think where it was that we talked about that this morning. But he says, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it, for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So Jesus very clearly had living as a Jew, had been instructed this way, would have practiced and observed these things, and he taught them that. In the New Testament, in, book, in the book of Acts, uh, he tells us in Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29, he says, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than is necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, for which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. So, he had very clearly instructed them not to eat blood. Okay, so, again, I don't think that it would be in God's plan for this to be converted into actual blood. Does that make sense? I'm trying to address and very clearly answer the question, maybe not just for him, but for anybody, just so that we know that that 
is a false belief, it does not happen. That these elements are given to us and we use them in observance of remembering, symbolizing His body that was broken and His blood that was shed. Not that they are converted into the actual body or blood. Okay? Um, the symbols. Let me just talk about these symbols here that we use to observe uh, communion. He says, first of all, we have the unleavened bread. This, again, these symbols and what they are and what they represent is very important. That's why it's important what we use for the Lord's Supper. Bread is a very sitting, fitting symbol because Jesus is the bread of life. So a very fitting symbol for us to use bread to represent the body of Christ that was broken for us. But all of you know that leaven is a symbol of what? Sin. So it would not be fitting for us to use bread that had leaven in it to picture a sinless Savior. Because if leaven pictures sin and the bread is supposed to picture Jesus, you don't want to put sin in the bread, right? So that's why it is supposed to be unleavened bread. Again, trying to hold to the true picture. And I don't think there's really much debate or much controversy regarding the bread. That is not the issue. We all know that. That picture is there. But not only was the bread supposed to be without leaven, but I want you to know in the Jewish home, according to Exodus chapter 12, seven days before they observed the Passover, all the leaven in their home was to be removed. So not only was the leaven supposed to be removed out of the bread, but all of the leaven in the entirety of their home was to be removed out of their home. Do you see the picture? There is to be a time of an examination before we observe the Lord's Supper. There is to be a time where we look at our lives and all of the leaven, all of the sin that is present there should be removed. That's why one of the reasons we announced to the church ahead of time that we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. Some people like to spring it on the flock, you know. <laughs> we're having the Lord's Supper tonight. Uh, that way people don't have the opportunity to stay home. Uh, like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not quite ready, so I'm going to just stay home tonight. Uh, we, we don't want to do that. We want to give you time to contemplate and think about the, the uh, gravity of the situation and what we're doing and how important this is and come prepared in your heart and mind uh, having examined yourself and realized how important it is that we not partake unworthily, but we do so having spent some time in examination and having removed the leaven from our own lives. But as I said, beloved, the controversy is really not around the bread. The controversy is around the juice. Again, we have a very similar situation here. You tell me, what is the juice supposed to represent? The blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The perfect, pure blood of Jesus Christ was shed to wash away my sin. So the issue comes, beloved, when man wants to use fermented wine to illustrate or show the picture of the sinless blood of Christ. It boggles my mind. 
I cannot comprehend or understand why we are so addicted to alcohol, why it means so much to us that we've got to have our alcohol, that we've got to bring it into the Lord's Supper, that we've got to make it part of the observance of His shed blood for us. His shed blood is to be a picture of the sinless, pure blood of Jesus Christ. And just as much as leaven is a picture of sin, fermentation is corruption. It is a picture of sin. And when uh, juice of the fruit of the vine is used or allowed to ferment, it becomes corrupted. It, beca it destroys that picture which we have of the pure blood of Jesus Christ. It is to be pure blood. The Mosaic Covenant was secured by the shed blood of animals. The New Covenant is secured by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I would have you know and challenge you to prove me wrong. I'd be glad to uh, have you examine the Scriptures. But I want you to know that the term wine is not used in the Gospels in reference to the Lord's Supper. See, people like to use that term, even though the Bible's pretty clear and easily explained when it talks about Jesus turned water into wine, it's pretty easy to, to illustrate and show that he turned it into the fruit of the vine. He didn't turn it into an alcoholic beverage. But I think maybe just in case people got a little confused on that, nowhere in reference to the Lord's table is the term wine used. It is always called the fruit of the vine like we read in our text that we began with. I'm not going to go back through and read it again, but the text there in Luke, um, he says, actually, you can look at it, verse number 18. He says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Not only is it not used in the Gospels, but in Paul's references to the Lord's table, it also is not called wine. It's called the fruit of the vine. What I'm saying is it's pretty clear, based on the picture that it's supposed to be, that it should be unfermented fruit of the vine. Now, I had one pastor friend who believed it should be Welch's grape juice. <laughs> and I mean literally any other, I mean if you bought and brought to the church grape juice from Wegmans, Wegmans Graham grape juice, he would not serve the Lord's Supper with uh, grape juice from Wegmans. It had to be Welchers or it wasn't spiritual. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't go that far. As long as it's fruit of the vine and unfermented, I think we're in line with the scriptures. Could be Wegmans, Giant, uh, Welchers, or somebody else. I don't even know who else makes grape juice. Uh, but it could be any of those as long as it's an unfermented fruit of the vine. Then we want to look at the service with regards to communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 16. He says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So there are several terms that we use when we're talking about communion here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And all of them are biblical. 
we call it the Lord's Supper. That comes from the Bible. Uh, we call it communion. We see here in this text that that comes from the Bible. Uh, it also is called the Lord's Table. That comes from the Bible. They're biblical terms, but here we see the word specifically communion. Beloved, communion and this communion service, which he describes for us here in verse number 16, the communion of the blood of Christ and the bread which was break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The word communion means fellowship. This is to be a time of fellowship with him. We know from 1 Corinthians that uh, it is not to be a time of fellowship with everybody else. It is not to be a time of food, for they had turned it into a feast day and everybody was eating. And Paul was saying, that's, that's not what this is about. It's not so that you can get full and have your fill. No, it's a time of fellowship with him. And really, could I say, it's a time to confirm and make sure that your fellowship with him is right. The entirety of this service, the communion service, is about fellowshipping with him. About letting our spirit commune with God. Trying to bring ourselves together. Sometimes in the Lord's Supper, we have testimony time. In between, as we're passing things out, I ask, hey, what does Jesus mean to you? Or we say different things. We'll give you opportunity to just testify. Sometimes we have the pianist play softly. Tonight, we're just going to be quiet. It's just going to be quiet. We're going to ask the men to distribute the element of the juice here and the, and the bread in a little bit. But understanding it's about communion with him. Spending time communing with God. Letting your spirit commune with his spirit. This is what we want to do. We examine ourselves to be sure that there's nothing between us and the Savior. How's your fellowship with Jesus tonight? His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. These elements that we use to observe the Lord's table serve as a very poignant and precious picture in solemn remembrance of the sacrifice of his body and blood for us. We partake of this together, fully aware of our responsibility to be sure that we are right with him and not partaking unworthily. As much as we are sure of these things, we are sure that Christ instituted this as a memorial service, that these elements are to be pure as a proper picture of who he was, free from all corruption, unleavened and unfermented. And we are also convinced that they are just symbols, pictures, of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, but not the actual body or blood of Christ. We are going to have a moment, a time of examination now. I'm just going to let you in your heart. We're just going to call for some quietness. And you talk to God and prepare for our communion service this evening.
we've given opportunity. And I, hopefully you've come prepared tonight to observe the Lord's Supper together. Again, I've instructed already, we're just going to do quietly tonight because we want to let our spirit commune with God's spirit without any distraction. I know our, in our busy worlds, we're not used to quiet. But just at, think about who God is. Think about what God means to you. Think about his attributes, how he is unchanging, how he's faithful, how he's true. Just think through the attributes of God, and as you're communing with him, thank him for what all that he means to you and what he's done in your life, and will continue to do uh, as we have this time, just commune with your